How's it going? Everybody at home? Hey, I want to show you what this looks like. Those of you who are watching online, I want to show you what this looks like. Nicole, can you come out here? And, and we've got about 100 people here, and it is, we feel very safe, but maybe Nicole can show you. Watch your screen. This is what it looks like. Everybody give them a wave and a shout, okay? You see that yet? It's not coming up. There it is. All right. We are uh, so happy to be here. Thank you, Nicole. We are so glad to be here. It's, it's hard to believe it's been a year uh, since we've had live services. Last week we were here and we had about 30 people, 30 of our leaders, just to test it out. And uh, we're doing a little bit more. So we're really excited uh, to be back. I want to begin by letting you know a little bit about what's going on with our live in-person services because I know that's something that, you, it's, that you're very interested in. And I want to I get the discussion going by just asking you some questions, okay? So the, the first question, it's kind of a fun question. You, you're even welcome to shout out your answer if you'd like. But the first question is this. What do you like more, Coke or Pepsi? What do you like more, Coke or Pepsi? All right, we got a, a, a rambunctious group here. What, what do you like more, dogs or cats? Oh, it sounds like this is a dog group tonight. What do you like more, Star Trek or Star Wars? <laughs> All right, I, I hope it said Star, Star Wars. What, what do you like more, rolling your toilet paper over or under? <laughs> what do you like more, Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out? <laughs> what do you like more, USC or UCLA? No, the easy one, Pepperdine, Pepperdine. You know, when it, when it comes to what people like, there's no shortage of opinions, right? Every, there's, everyone's got an opinion about what it is that they like and don't like. There are two sides to every coin. In fact, sometimes there are even three sides to a coin. And, and that's true even in the church. And that's been particularly true of this pandemic that we've been in. There are probably as many opinions as there are people about whether or not you should wear a mask or not wear a mask, whether you should social distance or not social distance, whether church should meet in person or not meet in person, whether you should do temperature checks or not temperature checks, whether you should get the vaccine or not get the vaccine. There are all kinds of opinions. As you may know, if you've been around here, our greatest concern has been for your health and your welfare. That has been our greatest concern all throughout this pandemic, which is why we chose not to meet in person during this time. In the last six weeks or so, however, those numbers, we've seen a significant drop in the number of COVID cases, in the number of hospitalizations, and in the number of deaths. And uh, they attribute that to the fact that the vaccine is being rolled out uh, in, in larger and larger measures. And uh, even Los Angeles County has now said that maybe even by this weekend, they're going to go from the purple tier to the red tier. Uh, we've heard, we're hearing that Disneyland, theme parks like Disneyland, are, gonna, are preparing to open up sometime in April. Baseball fans were told that they can be at Dodger Stadium and Angel Stadium for opening day. Schools are beginning to open up. This week, all of the elementary schools in the Palos Verdes uh, School District uh, 
open for in-person instruction. And I heard that by March 22nd, I believe March 22nd is the date when they are planning for all Torrance middle schools and high schools to open for in-person instruction. That's what I heard. And then um, this last weekend, I spoke with a first responder. He happens to be a firefighter in our church. And, uh, uh, and I asked him how things were. And he says, you know, things are pretty much back to normal. In fact, I spoke with a first responder tonight. She works at L.A. County, um, UCLA Harbor um, Medical Center. And she said that things are pretty much back to normal. So praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. That's what we've been praying for. But that doesn't mean that we're out of the woods yet. We've got a little ways to go, but things are definitely looking up. They, they really are. And thus, um, so far as the options that you, we've had as, for church is concerned, the only option that we've really had in the last year is to have our services online, to watch our services online. And we're truly grateful for that option. And um, we've told you that our online option is here to stay. For those of you who watch um, online, I want you to know that even when things return to normal, we're going to continue to offer our services online, all three services. Now, as you may know, some churches have been meeting for in-person services for a while now. There are a number of churches that are doing that. And uh, here's what we have learned from them. And that is roughly 30, it could go up to 40, but around 30% of church attenders are eager to meet in person. That's probably average attendance of a church that's meeting in person. It's about 30%, roughly in that range. So that's what we've learned. We've also learned that 70%, around 70%, are not prepared to meet. They're not prepared to, to uh, meet in person at church. Now let me tell you about those 70%, all right? And that may be you. And there are many reasons why the 70% in church are not prepared to meet in person. And uh, you, like I said, you may be one of them. And uh, one of the reasons is that maybe one of those, some of the folks in those 70% lost a loved one to COVID. And they do not want to lose another loved one to COVID. Maybe they got COVID. Maybe their entire family got sick. And they do not want to get sick again. As, as they came to see how devastating and how insidious this virus is. They don't want to go through that again. Maybe some of the 70% have young children, small children, who don't know how to social distance. And, and they want to protect and keep their children safe. And so they're staying at home. And uh, maybe there are people in that 70% who, who think that if they come back to church, that people aren't going to social distance, that people aren't going to, you know, they want to hug each other, and they're not going to wear their masks, they're going to get right in your face because they're so happy to see you. And so they're concerned about that. Because perhaps maybe some of the 70% have underlying conditions, or maybe they live with somebody, an elderly person, um, with underlying conditions. And the last thing they need to do is test positive and bring that home to their loved ones. And so maybe they're not ready to come back. And maybe they're not ready to come back because they haven't gotten the vaccine yet. There are a lot of reasons. There are a lot of reasons why the 70% in churches are not ready to come back. And, and, and that's okay, right? I think it's important for us, it's important for every one of us to hear them and to be empathetic, to understand them. Uh, and what they're going through. And I just want you to know, if you're part of that 70%, we hear you loud and clear. We hear you loud and clear. 
Now, let me tell you about the 30%. 30%, based on the current data, roughly 30%, like I said, sometimes they can go a little bit higher. 30% of church attenders not only want to meet, but many of them are saying they need to meet. They have to meet. Because the spiritual and emotional toll of not meeting has been devastating to them. They, some of them might even tell you that it has been more destructive to them than the virus itself, not meeting at church. And it has manifested itself in the form of despair and disillusionment and depression and heightened anxiety and um, mental instability and loneliness and in some extreme cases, suicide. And thus, roughly 30% of churchgoers are saying that they not only want to meet, they have to meet, they need to meet. And that number could be as high as 40%. And it's important for those in the 70% category to understand those in the 30% category and to understand them and to empathize with them and relate to them as best that they can. that's because that's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, that we would reach out to one another and understand. Today, because the situation is vastly, has vastly improved over what it's been throughout the year, our elders and pastors believe that it is time to make a second option available to you, the church, a second way for you to worship God, a second way for you to hear the preaching of God's word, and that would be Uh, for our church to meet in person. Now, let me tell you how that's gonna take place, all right? Beginning next weekend, that's March 20th and 21st, we will offer two two live indoor services, indoors like we are right now, one on Saturday at 5 p.m. and one on Sunday at 9 a.m. We're not gonna do the 11 o'clock service just yet. We're gonna do two, one on Saturday at 5, one on Sunday at 9 a.m., Now, based on the current guidelines, uh, we're allowed to uh, seat 150 people in this room because it is based on 25% uh, of your seating capacity. Our seating capacity here is roughly 600. We can put 600 seats in here. 25% of that is 150. So we are allowed to put 150 seats in here, but because we wanna err on the side of caution, we decided to limit the number of seats in this room to 100, or the number of people to 100. We have more than, obviously, we have more than 100 seats out here because we want to social distance, but the number of people that signed up was, um, we had 100 people sign up, not including our volunteers. In addition, um, we're going to follow all the protocols for indoor services, wearing masks, hand sanitizing, temperature checks, the like, and we're going to insist um, that everyone adhere to the six feet social distancing rule, which means that even if you've had both vaccines, out of respect, out of respect and concern for someone else, we're going to ask you not even to fist bump or elbow bump, because there are a lot of people who won't come to church simply because even fist bumping is getting a little bit too close to them because they're just not prepared for that. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not afraid, and we shouldn't be afraid. And you're right. We shouldn't be afraid of anything. But this isn't about living uh, in fear. This is about us going the extra mile. It's about going the extra mile to understand our brothers and sisters 
to help them feel safe and comfortable around people. Now, if you're eager to meet in person, but you're not quite, you know, warming up to this idea of meeting indoors, we get that too. In which case, next weekend, Saturday at 5, Sunday at 9 a.m., you can join us for worship in our outdoor overflow venue, which will be right outside the church. At the same time we're going to be meeting live in here, inside, this, this service will be streamed outdoors uh, to a large tent that was erected yesterday, and here's what it looks like. It's massive. This is the tent, and uh, this is, here's Pastor Dave to show you how long this thing is. It's huge, and uh, we could put a lot of seats in there, and if you're not comfortable meeting inside, then you can meet outside, and if you're not even comfortable being under the tent, you can sit out under, outside of the tent, but either way, we're going to set up three large TV monitors out there, and we're going to stream the services live under those TV monitors so that you can come and worship with us. If you're not comfortable indoors, you can do it outdoors where there's plenty of ventilation, and again, all the protocols will apply outdoors as well, you know, social distancing, masks, and the whole nine yards, because we just want not only keep you safe, we want people to feel like they are safe, that they could come here and be safe. So that's kind of the plan. Um, we're excited about it. By the way, we're going to set up chairs. You don't need to bring your lawn chairs unless you want to sit, don't want to sit under the tent. You want to, in fact, you can even grab a chair. We'll have chairs out there. We're going to sanitize them all, and uh, we think it's going to be an absolutely wonderful experience. You watch our services now on a screen. Instead, you can come to church and do it with us. We'll do it together. We'll worship together, even outdoors, and it's going to be absolutely fantastic. So that's next weekend. Again, starting March 20th and 21st, second option. This is going to be our second option, two indoor services and two simultaneous outdoor services, Saturday at 5, Sunday at 9. And uh, if we start running out of room at these services, then we will probably open up the 11 o'clock service for you as well. And um, reservations will, uh, will be taken starting Monday at noon. Uh, so go to our website, southbaycommunitychurch.com, and uh, Monday, March 15th, and you can go there, get more information, and sign up, uh, register to attend, and uh, it's going to be great. So for the roughly 70% of you who are not ready to come, we understand. We totally understand. And as I said a couple weeks ago, you don't need to feel bad about that. You don't need to feel guilty about that. Uh, you come when you're ready. And uh, you can still watch every single weekend. Next weekend, it'll be, you can watch on Saturday. You can watch Sunday at 9 and 11, just like you always do. And uh, all I ask is that we strive to understand one another, strive to understand what the 30% feels, strive to understand what the 70 percent feels. And uh, again, let's just do that because that's what it means to love. And one last thing, if the numbers start to surge, and we sure hope they don't, if they start to surge and we feel like it's just getting too risky for us and your health is in jeopardy, then we won't hesitate to pull back and to make adjustments. Um, finally, I just want to say thank you, church. Thank you so much for your support and understanding these last 12 months. You have been so loving and so caring um, 
even as some of you have shared your concerns with us, uh, I want you to know your opinions matter. Every single opinion matters. You have done so even when your opinions were different from ours. Uh, you've done so, uh, so graciously. And we can't thank you enough for that. So South Bay Community Church, on behalf of all of our leadership team, our pastors, you're the best, and we are so thankful for you. May the Lord bless us, and um, may he be glorified in all that we do. Now, I have a message I still have to preach, so let's pray, and we'll get started, okay? Well, Father, what a, what a crazy journey this has been. And uh, hopefully today, next week, um, this will be the turning point. And Father, we ask that those numbers continue to come way, way down because we don't want to see a single person sick, not our family members, not our friends, not anyone in this country for that matter, not anyone in this world for that matter. And Lord, thank you for being our, our leader. Thank you for being our, our, the head of our church, Jesus, for guiding us and leading us. Uh, we ask, God, that in the days ahead, you would continue to show us the way. Father, we know that we're prone to mistakes, and we probably made a whole bunch. But we just pray, God, that you would take us by the hand and show us. And, and Father, for, for our church, thank you, God, for creating and putting together the best people in the world right here at South Bay. Thank you for their understanding and their support. And Father, I pray that you would work in every one of our hearts and that you would continue to protect us, protect each one, Give each family, give each, give each individual the wisdom uh, that they need to know when to come back, when it's good for them. So thank you, Father, today. Bless our study in your word. God, um, I know we don't have a lot of time, but I pray that you would speak to us. So I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, gee, it's so good to have people here. Um, we've been in a series called Last Words, and we've been examining the last words that Jesus spoke before he died on a cross. And we learned in the first message that Jesus hung on a cross for six hours, from about 9 a.m. when he was crucified till 3 a.m. or 3 p.m. when he uh, took his last breath. And in, the, in those six hours, he hardly said a word. He said seven sentences, but those seven sentences parked, packed up a powerful punch. Today I want to show you two more things that Jesus said and spoke before he died. So grab your Bible, turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And um, if, if you don't have a Bible, open up your app, your South Bay Community Church app. If you don't have the app, you can go to the, uh, the Apple Store or the Play Store, or Google Store, and get it. And, um, and then click on Last Words, and the verses and an outline should pop up right there for you. Now, as you may know, uh, if you've been around here, uh, we have two dogs, Carmel and Coconut. They are brother and sister. Uh, this year, they're going to be 14 years old, which is 98 human years. They're going to be 98 years old. And I just got to tell you, it's so nice to know that there's somebody in our house that's older than me. Now, for those of you who have a dog or cat, or maybe dogs or cats, you will understand what I mean when I say that they are not like family. They are family. They are family. They literally go everywhere with us. They do everything with us. They go out to eat with us, as you see here. They go on vacation with us. They sit at the kitchen counter with us. They sleep with us. 
They even face masks with us, and I'm not talking about the ones that you're wearing. Coconut and caramel, we call them Coke and Carm, are half Chihuahua and half French Poodle, or as I like to say, they're half Mexican and half French. And yet, they understand a little bit of English. They go crazy when we ask them, are you hungry? Do you want to eat? They go crazy. And then they really get excited when we say to them, do you want to go for a ride? Carmel, you want to go for a ride? Coconut, you want to go for a ride? And then they go delirious when I say, mommy's home, mommy's home, because Cheryl just pulled in to the garage. And they really get delirious and excited when she comes home. Sadly, they don't understand the most important things that I say to them. Like when I asked Coconut, Coconut, are you daddy's girl? Because she's a girl. Or I'll ask Carmel, and I do this all the time. Carmel, are you daddy's boy? When I ask them those questions, the most important questions of all, I get a blank stare. I, this is what they look like. It's like, what? Say what? And then when I tell them I love them, when I tell them I love them, I get zero reaction. Like, say what? You love me? And you probably, if you have a dog or cat, you, especially if you have a cat, right, you get the same response. You get the same response because dogs and cats don't speak our language. They don't understand what we're saying. Now, what if I told you, what if I told you that there's a way for you to tell your dog that you love him or her, you love him, and they'll understand? What if I told you that there's a way? Because there is. There's a way. There's a way for you to do that. But but here's the thing. It will require huge sacrifice on your part uh, to pull this thing off, for you to tell your dog that you love him or her. All right? You will literally have to give up everything that you have and everything that you are in order to speak to them in a language they understand. If you have a job, you're going to have to quit your job. If you're married, you're going to have to, gonna have to leave your marriage. In fact, you're going to have to leave every relationship that you're in. You know, you're gonna, parents are going to have to leave your kids. Kids are going to have to leave your parents. Brothers are going to have to leave your sisters, cousins, teammates, classmates, friends. You're going to have to give up every single relationship to pull this thing off. And not only that, you're going to have to give up everything you own. Everything you own, your house, your Tesla, your clothes, your bank account, your iPhone. You have to give up everything that you have. And you're going to have to give up all the pleasures and enjoyments of this life, like drinking boba or eating in and out uh, burger, animal style or going to Pepperdine, or watching the Angels beat the Dodgers, or playing, or playing hoops with your buds, or going to the beach. You're going to have to give up everything because the only way, the only way that you can tell your dog that you love him in a language that he or she understands is to become a dog. That's the only way you can do it. It's to become a dog. Or if, you have a, if you're a cat lover, it's to become a cat. The $64,000 question is this. Would you be willing to give up everything that you have to become a dog so that you could tell your dog that you love him or love her? Would you be willing to do that? My guess is you love your dog, but not that much. My guess is you wouldn't. You wouldn't be willing to give up everything you have to become a dog. But that's exactly what God did. It's exactly what God did. He loved people so much, including you, including you, that he allowed his son to become a man. Not a dog, but a man. So he could show us, so he could tell us that he loves us. And in order for Jesus to become a man, he had to give up everything. 
He had to give it all up. He became poor. He gave, you know, he gave up being rich so that he could be poor. He gave everything up. And uh, his place was at the right hand of the Father. And he had to give that up. Take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. I know I told you to turn to John 19. You can just keep your finger there. But look at Philippians 2, verse 5. I'll put it up here for you. It says, Paul wrote, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus emptied himself. You ought to circle that word emptied. The word emptied comes from the Greek word kenoo, and it means to completely eliminate elements of high status or rank by deleting the privileges associated with such rank and status. I'm just reading that definition. It means to eliminate elements of high status or rank by deleting the privileges associated with such rank or status. Paul said Jesus emptied himself, and when he emptied himself, he didn't mean that Jesus emptied himself. He gave up being God. He didn't give up being God. He was still God. What he gave up were the privileges of being God. And that's exactly what we see on the cross. At any point in time during those six hours, Jesus, as he hung on the cross, he could have appealed to his father to send 12 legions of angels to take him down from the cross, but he didn't do that. He didn't do that because he emptied himself of the privileges of being God. And so what we see on full display on the cross is the human Jesus, the humanity of Christ. We see an emptied Jesus. Now let me show you the two statements that he made before he died that bear this out. All right, take a look at the first one, John 19, starting in verse 25. It says here, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Okay, you can stop right there. First of all, it appears, according to this passage, that there were four women present at the crucifixion, all right? First, there was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Second, there was Mary's sister, who would have been Jesus' aunt. And third, there was Mary, the wife of someone named Clopas. And fourth, there was Mary Magdalene. Now, I said it appears that there were four women because some have argued, if you take a look at the verse again, some have argued that his mother's sister his mother's sister Mary, uh, was Mary, the mother of Clopas. Notice that. Look at it. If you read it, uh, you could get that impression. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas. You can get the idea that his sister was Mary. But why would, why would a mother and a father name both of their daughters Mary? So I don't see that, right? I don't see that. That's not how I read it. I think that there were four women at the cross. And then take a look at verse 26. It says... When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, and stop right there real quick, okay, just real quick pause, right? The disciple whom he loved was a reference to John, the apostle John. John always referred to himself in the gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And by the way, John was the only disciple present at the crucifixion because you remember, you might remember that all the other disciples fled, right? So verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And stop. Right out of the gate, we see the humanity of Jesus on display as he looks down from the cross 
at his human mother Mary. And he said to her, Woman, behold your son. Circle the word woman. Now I think you would all agree with me. It's kind of a bizarre way to address your mom, right? Kind of a strange way to address your mom. Like, hey woman, right? Hey woman. I mean, who would say that to their mom, right? You'd get a slap in the face. Hey woman. It sounds so rude, but in their culture, it wasn't rude at all. And here's why. The word woman in the Greek is the word gune. You know, remember the New Testament was written in the Greek, right? And this is all written in Greek. So we look at the Greek, and it's translated woman, but, it, but it's the word gune, and it can refer to your wife. It can refer to a woman who was single. It can refer to a woman who was a widow. In fact, back in the day, it was a term of respect and affection. I mean, you can act, the word can actually be, gune can actually be translated ma'am or my lady. I like that one, my lady. And thus, when Jesus referred to his mother as woman, he wasn't being rude at all. As if, it was as if he was saying, my lady or ma'am. He was paying her the highest respect. And when he said to her, woman, behold your son, he wasn't referring to himself as the son of God. He was referring to the disciple John, as if to say, John is now your son. John will take care of you. And then in verse 27, Jesus said this to John. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. He said to John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. One of the last things Jesus did before he died was to make sure that his mother Mary would be taken care of. It's one of the last things he did. And since her husband Joseph isn't mentioned anywhere in the text, text, we can assume that he was probably, he'd probably died, he was probably dead. And thus the responsibility for caring for his mother fell to Jesus. But he was also dying. He was dying, and so he entrusted, one of the last words he spoke, he entrusted his mother into the care of his disciple John. What we see here is that even as Jesus is writhing in pain on the cross, even when he is struggling to breathe, he was thinking of the well-being of his mother. He was completely selfless. And that's just like him, isn't it? That's just like Jesus. He was always thinking of others, always thinking of others, and that's true even today. Jesus is always thinking of you. He's always thinking of you. He's always thinking of you. You are always on his mind. Psalm 139, verse 17 says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. That's such a great verse. Think about that. All the thoughts that God has for you, every single thought that God has for you, he has so many thoughts about you that you can't even number them. You can't even count them. He's constantly thinking about you. So write that one down. I'm always on Jesus' mind. You are always on his mind. Now here's an interesting note. Jesus had several brothers. Now we don't know exactly how many. It always says he has brothers. We're not exactly sure how many. Because after Jesus was born, uh, Joseph and Mary went on to have several other sons. And they would have been Jesus' half-brother because they shared the same mother, that's Mary, but they had different fathers. The other brothers had Joseph as their father, but Jesus had God as his father. And so his brothers were half-brothers. Now, you would think 
that here's Jesus dying on a cross, that he said to his half-brothers, you guys take care of mom. You guys take care of mom now. But he didn't say that. First, because they weren't even there. Second, because John 7, 5, take a look at John 7, 5, says this, for not even his brothers believed in him. Not even his brothers believed in him. They didn't believe that their half-brother was the Messiah. They didn't believe that their half-brother was the Savior of the world. In fact, according to Acts 1.14, which I'm not going to put up here for you, but according to Acts 1.14, it wasn't until after Jesus was raised from the dead that his brothers came to believe in him. Thus, Jesus entrusted his mother into the care of his disciple, John, because John believed in him. You're all familiar with the idiom, blood is thicker than water. Blood is thicker than water. The significance of Jesus entrusting the care of his mother to John instead of his own blood brothers tells us that faith is thicker than blood. Faith is thicker than blood. And what really, in other words, what really makes you family is not that you share the same blood with somebody, but it's that you share the same faith with someone. And that's why, for example, even if you're dating, it's so important to, to marry someone who shares your faith because that makes you family. In the Gospel of Luke, there's an interesting story about how Jesus and his brothers were trying to get to him. There was a, a large crowd, and he was doing ministry, and they wanted to see him. And, but, but there was such a large crowd, they couldn't even get to him. And so they told him, Jesus, your, brother, your brothers and your mother are here to see you, but they can't get to you. And here's what he said in response, Luke 8, 21. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus said, True family is not determined by blood. True family is determined by faith. Those who hear God's word and believe in it and do it. Those who have faith. And that's why Jesus didn't think twice about entrusting his mother into the care of John. Because he was more family to him than his own blood brothers, simply because of his faith. And the implication of this statement is huge. It means that people of faith are more family to us than people who share our blood. And that's why, church, it is so important that we bend over backwards, that we bend over backwards to love each other. We bend over backwards to understand each other. We bend over backwards to empathize with one another because we are family. We are family. So write that one down. I am family with other believers. You know, in 1996, a young Marine, a Marine corporal named Joey Mora, was standing on the deck of a U.S. aircraft carrier as it was in the Persian Gulf, and suddenly, unexpectedly, for whatever reason, for some unexplained reason, he fell overboard. And it wasn't until 36 hours later that they realized that he was gone, that he was missing. So they immediately contacted his family, and they began a, a, an all-out search and rescue mission. And they looked for 24 hours in the Persian Gulf looking for Joey Mora, but he was nowhere to be found. And finally, after 24 hours, they called off the search because they, they said that there's no way anybody could survive in the Persian Gulf for 60 hours at sea without a life jacket, and so they gave up. Unbelievably, unbelievably, 72 hours, 72 hours after he fell overboard, four Pakistani fishermen found him treading water in his sleep, and he was clinging to a makeshift 
flotation device that he made out of his trousers, something he learned at survival school. And of course, he was delirious, and and as they pulled him out of water, two years later, he shared his story on NBC's Dateline, and, and he credited God for keeping him alive, for saving his life, but he also said the worst part of his ordeal is that his body and his mind was racked with thirst. It was ravaged with thirst. And all he could think of for 72 hours was water. He just needed water. Let me ask you something. What was the longest period of time you've gone without water? What's the longest period of time? Now take a look at this last thing that Jesus said before he died. John 19, verse 28. And it says, after this, Jesus knowing that all all was now finished and to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth, right? First, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all now was finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Jesus spoke two words, I thirst. Will you circle that? Circle, I thirst. And then in verse 29, circle, sour wine. All right, we'll come back to that in a second. At this point, He'd been on the cross for six hours. He was literally seconds away from death, seconds away from dying. Early that morning, think about what, happened, what he'd been through. Early that morning, he was beaten with a staff over the head, bloodied by a crown of thorns. Chunks of flesh were ripped out of his body um, as he was flogged at least 39 times. He was um, forced to carry his cross to the place of the skull where he was mercilessly crucified and then he hung on a cross for six hours. One of the last things he said was, I thirst. Spurgeon described Jesus' torment this way. He said, quote, his thirst was caused perhaps in part by the loss of blood and by the fever created by the irritation caused by his four grievous wounds. The nails were fastened in the most sensitive parts of the body and the wounds were widened as the weight of his body dragged the nails through his blessed flesh and tore tender nerves. The extreme tension produced a burning feverishness. It was pain that dried his mouth and made it like an oven. No wonder he said, I thirst, I thirst. He knew what it was like for thirst to ravage his body. And these two words, I thirst, more than anything else he said on the cross, exemplified his humanness. Now here are a couple of other noteworthy things about these two words. First, approximately a thousand years, a thousand years before Christ was crucified, King David prophesied his crucifixion. It's found in Psalm 22. Uh, This week, Read Psalm 22, all right? That's your homework. Read Psalm 22. Read the entire chapter. Let me just read three verses for you. David wrote Psalm 22, starting in verse 14. He said, and he's he's writing this as if Jesus is speaking. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. This is an amazing passage. 
because it is a prophecy of the crucifixion of Christ in the Old Testament. And frankly, I don't know how any Jew can read this and not recognize that Jesus was and is their Messiah. But in verse 15, take a look at verse 15. David prophesied that Jesus would thirst. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. Think about that. My tongue sticks to my jaws. After six hours on the cross and hours of beating before that, Jesus' mouth was so dried out that his tongue was stuck to his jaw. Can you imagine that? Imagine your stung tongue being stuck to your jaw. Has that ever happened to you where... In fact, press your tongue down on your jaw, the bottom of your mouth, all right? And if you do that, there's one thing you cannot do. You cannot talk, all right? So let me demonstrate. I, I bought a spoon, all right? If I press the spoon down on my tongue, right? Because you, and so, Imagine, after all that beating, hours of beating, and six hours on a cross, it says his tongue was stuck to his jaw, which means he couldn't talk. And I believe that one of the reasons why Jesus cried out, I thirst, was because he needed just a little bit of moisture in his mouth because he had a few more things to say before he died. And next week and the week after, we'll finish the series off and we'll tell you what it is he said. And it does say, he said it, he spoke in a clear, loud voice. When he thirsted, there's another prophecy in in the Psalms, a thousand years before Christ. Here's Here's what else David said, Psalm 69. He wrote, reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I look for pity, but there was none, and, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Remember I asked you to circle sour wine in John 19, 29? They gave him sour wine to drink, and it was prophesied a thousand years before he hung on a cross. It was prophesied that they would give him sour wine, and that's exactly what they gave him. You see, Jesus' crucifixion was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Another word for prophecy is promise. Prophecies are promises of God that he will do something in the future. And here's what I want you to know about God's prophecies or God's promises. They all come true. They all come true, every single one of them. Everything that God says is gonna happen is gonna happen. There are a bunch of prophecies. Most of the prophecies that he's made have all been fulfilled. But there are some prophecies related to the second coming, the end times that have yet to be fulfilled and they, one day they will all be fulfilled. Perhaps in our own lifetime they will be fulfilled. Whatever God says he will do, he will do. And so write this one down. I can count on God to keep his promises. God will keep his promises. And that's what we see on the cross. Fulfillment of prophecy. Fulfillment of his promises. Let me close with this. The last couple weeks have been uh, pretty difficult for me personally. Um, First, my brother has been battling um, this very bad sinus infection and then uh, an acute uh, acid reflex uh, 
condition that um, has kept that keeps him up little, almost every night, um, the entire night, and uh, he's losing weight. He's not sleeping, and Larry and I are very close uh, as brothers, and it just every day I get a report from him. It just pains me um, to hear what he's going through. That's one thing that's been going on. Second, our sweet 95-year-old mom was moved um, last week from, a skilled nur- from the skilled nursing facility where she's been at to another nursing facility closer here um, to home, which is what we're thankful for. But she was moved to a, another, to a nursing facility for various reasons. One is because she's got to the point where she couldn't care for herself anymore. And since they moved, moved her last Friday, um, she's not been doing well mentally. She's not been doing well. She has um, been really agitated and uh, depressed. The other night, two nights ago, I received a call after midnight. Uh, and of course, you look at the caller ID and you, know, you immediately know it's the nursing home where she's at and that's never a good feeling, getting a call at that hour. Uh, but they called to inform me that she fell. And thankfully, she wasn't hurt. But when I think of her situation, and I've had some conversations with her, and they've been very difficult, uh, it, her, her situation just saddens me to no end. On top of that, in the last few weeks, you know, someone very dear to us in, our ch- in this church, she lost her dad, who also attended our church. Uh, this week I found out a dear brother, just a dear brother, young, a young guy, um, was diagnosed with cancer, uh, went into surgery uh, immediately. Uh, we're hoping he's going to be okay. And then another precious lady, someone I consider like a sister to me, um, has been having a lot of severe health issues. And all these things, and they're, they're, they're more, but, they're, but all these things, just, it just makes my heart ache. Um, but what has kept me afloat and what, what comforts me continually is knowing that God keeps his promises. God keeps every one of his promises. And one of the promises that I've been holding on to for dear life is Isaiah 46, verse 4. This is your last verse. Isaiah 46, verse 4. And, and I've shared this one with you before, but I, I share it a lot because it just means that much to me. And, and the promise becomes more meaningful to me the older I get, and you'll see why. It says, even to your old age, I am he. I mean, even when you get old, I'm still God. I'm still God. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. This promise is what I've been holding on to. That God is carrying my mom, the mom, and that God is carrying my brother. He's carrying me. And this promise isn't just for old people. It's for all of God's people. It, it doesn't matter how old or young you are. This is for all of God's people. Maybe you're here today and, and you are having health issues. Maybe you're the one with cancer. Maybe you lost a loved one recently and you're just grief-stricken and the tears just don't stop flowing. Maybe you're struggling with depression or anxiety. Maybe you've had thoughts of suicide. Maybe this pandemic has been so bad for you because you've been isolated and feeling so alone. Maybe you're just overcome with sadness. I think that's probably the predominant emotion I felt all throughout this year, is just sadness over all things that have, hap- have happened. Um, God promises to carry you. He doesn't promise to take all these 
promise that we have away. It doesn't take promise to take our sufferings away, but he promises to carry you when you're suffering. Promises to bear with you. Promises to be with us. You, you know that verse in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. God is with us. Right? It, it's those kind of promises that keep me going. The prophecies, every one of them, as we saw in this passage, they all come true. Everything that God says comes true. Everything is real. There's never a lie in any of it. And that's what's kept me going. I want to encourage you this week for your devotions. Search through the Bible for promises that God has given to you. There are tons of promises, hundreds of promises in there. And claim those promises and ask God to, to, to keep those promises in your life. What we see on the cross is the humanity of Jesus, the human Jesus, the human Jesus in full view. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that Jesus gave up everything to become a man. He was fully God and fully man. And uh, if Jesus didn't come to earth as a man, then we would have never known the, the extent of his love for us. And if we didn't know that God loves us, we wouldn't have any hope. Zero. But thank God he came. Amen? Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for allowing him to become a man. Thank you for allowing him to become one of us. That he could come and tell us how much he loves us, how much you love us. And it, and it, it wasn't just a matter of him telling us that, but he demonstrated it when he died on a cross for our sins. Lord, we would hardly ever, never think of giving up all we have to become an animal. But your son gave up the glory and the privileges of heaven to come and die an excruciating death on a cross for us. Lord, thank you. There's no one like you. And Father, encourage our hearts as we go sometimes through some very difficult things. Encourage our hearts and remind us that we could hold on to you, that we could hold on to your promises because this glorious Jesus, this Savior who was man, was also God, and he rose from the dead, victorious and alive. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.